Welcome to Exploring the Industry, where we find out what God's doing in the entertainment world. I get to interview Christians from various entertainment industries. They share their stories of faith and transformation with you and I. I'm hosting people from many different backgrounds to share what God is doing and where he's shown up most in their lives and their careers through their highs and lows. We're believing to influence the narrative of how Christians perceive what God's doing in the entertainment industry around the world. If a picture is worth a thousand words, their story is worth a thousand sermons. Come join the conversation and welcome to the show. Actress Jessica Yellow is known for her roles in Churchill, Alice in Wonderland, and Sleepy Hollow. She is even more known by the countercultural lifestyle that her and her A-list husband, the actor David Oyelowo, live. I'm going to ask Jessica about their faith journey when they left a comfortable life in the UK behind and moved to Los Angeles to pursue film and television full-time. We're going to discover together what it looks like to be a famous family in Hollywood. And because Jessica lives a life of vulnerability, I'm going to investigate her personal struggle of significance when she had to lay down her own career and agenda while her husband's career soared. Now, though, she's living out an explosion of God activity as she and her husband are producing dozens of film and TV projects. Join me today on Exploring the Industry. Welcome to Exploring the Industry. I'm so excited to have Jessica Oyelowo today. Hi. I was thinking about, and we were just talking about it right before we started, we were talking about how we met in 2007, we yes. think. We think. <laughs> we don't know if it was in England or if it was in America. The, the, it's all blurry. <laughs> At the moment, it's blurry. But I, the, my first memory of meeting you is after I moved to the States and we came to your house to have a prayer meeting. Yeah, it was really cool. We We were going after artisan and bringing artisan from England, which you guys were super involved with at the time here. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was so beautiful because we had just moved here. I mean, I just got into that house really, maybe like six months or so. Uh -huh. And so, and I'd been dreaming about coming for 14 years. So we were finally in this dream house of, even though it was, had no furniture, I think like three <laughs> couches or something, you know, and we started the permitting there. It was really cool. Mm -hmm. And we started a church there too. You did? Yeah, we did. We started a church there. We didn't mean to. We just had like a Bible study that turned into a church. That's awesome. Yeah. I was trying not to start a church. <laughs> <laughs> now I no longer pastor it. It's very nice. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's going well though, but I no longer pastor it. Then you guys came here and you started um, connecting behind the scenes to a lot of really amazing people as well mm -hmm. who are Christians in the industry. And you had a heart to see what God could do here, not just pursue your careers. Absolutely. That's, that's is, all we came to see is what God can do. I, I, uh, look through the Bible and I look at who had which career and I'm like, nobody really had careers in the Bible. Nobody like pursued uh, a particular dream. They pursued God. Yeah. And then God did whatever he needed to do to make his purposes happen in their lives, which end up often being careers or callings or destinies, whatever you want to call them. But no, we did not come here to pursue careers uh, wow. in that sense of it. We knew we were coming here to be part of the entertainment industry but we knew we had to let God do whatever he wanted to do within the entertainment industry and use us as he chooses. Yeah, it was super risky because you brought your family over. Yeah. And you weren't coming <laughs> to a job. You just came because nope. God showed you to come. Yes. And at the time, I remember David was saying, they keep asking me to play like gangsters. That's all that's here for African origins is like people who are the next bad guy in the movie. There was like nothing in England at the time. And he knew that part of coming out here was like a different type of role that he would play. But you also have been an actor since you were a child, like so young. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, uh, it was an interesting transition. Um, we were working at 
quite a high level in the UK. Yeah. Having both been called into the industry in the first place, my husband was going to be a lawyer. Oh, wow. And I was going to study politics, philosophy, and economics. Oh, my gosh. And not have anything to do with it. Because it's the entertainment industry. It's evil, right? We're not allowed to yeah. be part of this. Those We're days, Christians. Yeah. I was raised in a home where... Um, we really, really loved the Lord. And my parents really taught me the word morning and evening, whole family sitting down, reading the Bible together. Wow. Every day. Wow. And I'm so, so grateful for that. My grandmother, grandfather, my great grandmother, all missionaries in China, my parents as well. And, um, the idea of me becoming an actress Mm -hmm. was so heinous to my grandmother particularly. <laughs> no, I get it. My mom, when we told my mom we were coming out here, my mom, it was like 15 years ago. No, it was 25 years ago. My mom started crying and said, why would you ruin your destiny or your life? But I think now that we're out here, I know you've run into the same thing where there's like, we've run over 150 kids who are pastor's kids and mm-hmm. apostles' kids, missionaries' kids, whatever. They're from all, all They're all here. And it's interesting because they have like, the same kind of calling their parents had to go into ministry. Yes. And it's again a thing you're talking about where yes. here you are, a second or third generation person. Missionary. And, yeah, missionary. And I remember we talked about that when you first came out as like you're a missionary here. Yeah. Totally. And how are you gonna reach the people you're called to spread the gospel to if you're not gonna get to know them and be part of yeah. their world? Like if you're gonna go to Papua New Guinea and live with this live with the Stone Age tribe. Yeah. You have to live with the Stone Age tribe and understand them and understand their ways and what's happening in their lives so that you can be effective in your communication with them of the gospel. So why would we not be called to a particular industry to be missionaries within the industry and have to get to understand the the culture, as it were? I don't agree with everything that's going to be happening in that New Guinean tribe. I'm not going to partake in everything that they're going to be doing in their daily life. And I'm not going to partake in everything that's happening in Hollywood. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Just to make that clear. Exactly. But, <laughs> but the same rules apply. Yeah. But it's different here because when you pursue, because you brought a family. So you brought two of your kids at the time. Yep. And you guys came, and you were already doing this in England, but it was a little different coming to another oh, country yes. where a different culture period and coming out here and raising a family in a place that a lot of people look at as they would call it like a Babylon or something. They would Absolutely. call it versus, I mean, actually when we moved here and I started a family here, it's the best place to raise a family in the world. Like we love all the <laughs> things there are to do for kids and for families. Yeah. And you have mountains and snow and beach and three uh, things absolutely. galore. But people just see one image and they've, especially Christians have been told over and over and over that the city's evil yes, and the industry's evil. So it's hard for them to disconnect that. So I think you guys are really pioneering for probably not just your families, but other people, because we want a generation from now to go, yes, we're empowered to go. Right. But you guys kind of had a price to pay. Yes, we so did. What was that like for your family? Like what happened? Well, for the, for the beginning of our careers, my husband's family were very against him becoming an actor. Wow. My parents were supportive because I'd, I, I had just since I was born, the, I was born and the midwife said, she's going to be a singer. Like it was the oh, first wow. thing anyone ever said over me wow. was she's going to be a singer. I popped out and sang some opera. I think that's what happened. Yeah. That's, that's what happens. No, I came out. She's going to be a singer. It was just, my life was worship. But that works in worship because you're a worship leader. I'm a that, worship. I, mean, that I love works. to worship. Absolutely. To translate that in the entertainment industry, what happened? Yeah. But I'd always been a performer. My mother came in one time. I was, I think, four, three or four years old. It must be four because I'd started violin lessons at this point. 
and I had pulled the poor mailman who'd come to deliver a parcel into the living room and he was saying, <laughs> do you want me to sing, dance, or play my violin for you? <laughs> she probably loved it. And my, my life was, I want to make your life a little bit happier. I want to wow. make you a little bit more cheerful today. So yeah. let me... Let me <laughs> shine some sparkle and dust on that. And in church, I brought up in the Church of England, very stand up, sit down, sing mm-hmm. a hymn, sit down, kneel down, stand up, say the Nicene, Nicene <laughs> yeah. Creed. Again, great for learning the word. You have to recite the word over and over yeah. again. It like gets inside your confession of sins and forgiveness and communion. There's a, there's a creed to it. And, um, but even with the hymns, I'd be up worshipping I was dancing around wow. the church, worshiping the Lord. It was just in my bones. I couldn't stop myself. And um, so my parents weren't quite so surprised yeah. when the Lord was like, acting, go. David and I met in the National Youth Music Theater doing the Three Penny Opera, which is a big Brechtian wow. thing. When we were teenagers, we were 17 and 18 when we met. Wow. And we were the only Christians in the show. Now, how did he get into the show? Because his parents were against him acting. Yeah, he... he it, he actually got a scholarship from the Prince's Trust, Prince Charles's oh. Trust, and anything to do with royalty or scholarships. My father-in-law is like, go. Okay, go for it. Do. <laughs> God had to use the sneaky way. <laughs> he, he snuck him in all <laughs> kinds of ways. And he ended up going to a drama school with a scholarship. So his dad could tell everyone that his son was a scholar. Nice. <laughs> so nice, that's exactly. how he got away with it. But with me, um, I ended up, signing with ICM I didn't know what an agent was I didn't understand the industry at all had no idea what an agent was and ICM wanted to sign me from this show I was like great what does that mean I don't get it and then the Lord and I wasn't familiar with the prophetic at the time I wasn't familiar with with all kinds of spiritual aspects of the Christian faith I but people kept giving me words of prophecy and I'd be having dreams and like it was very clear it was the Lord and my grandmother, who was an amazing woman, she went off to China as a single lady wow. to serve the Lord as a nurse. And she ended up meeting my grandfather there, who was a doctor, and they married and had my dad there. He lived there for some years. Um, she was a great woman. But the traditional thought process around mm-hmm. this industry is it's evil. Yeah, It's just evil. Um, and so she disowned me as a prostitute. Oh. <laughs> she called me a prostitute. Oh, that's and super painful. It was super painful at the time, but, um, did you have grace or was that? No, I had, I understood where she was coming okay. from. Uh, she also wasn't too pleased that I married the black man. Yeah. Love you, grandma. She, yeah. um, it was hard for her. She didn't understand. Um, and you know, I'm fully reconciled to yeah. her now through the great cloud of witnesses. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Since she passed a few weeks after I married David. Oh, wow. 20 something years ago. And, um, but I think in perspective and I'm not, I'm not trying to interject this in your, in your dream you in perspective. Like. like when someone comes from so much traditionalism, Absolutely. I'm sure there's a place to reconcile some of it, even though it's because I mean, I think of my family when I told them I was going to be in ministry, my my one aunt said, you're going to be a bleep television evangelist. And at the time, I had no desire to be on TV at all. And she's like cussing at me. I'm like looking at her going, I, I don't, because I didn't want to be a TV Were they, your family Christian? They were Catholic. And the, so they believed in God. Yeah. And most of them got saved before they died because she this particular aunt now passed away. But she was so offended 
at the concept that someone in the in our family would become something that might bring our family a bad name. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. was so hard for her. Yes. But I also looked at her and I thought, you've never had any understanding of how to be a human being with and connected yourself anyways. Like your life is like is beautiful, but it's also hard. It's been a harder life than I've I've had a different option in my life to live. Definitely. You know? So I think of like your your beautiful grandmother. My beautiful grandma. Who just didn't have an understanding or connection. She didn't. But as I say, there was a there was a connection that kind of happened after she died. Wow. Where uh it's like the we're we're all being cheered on by a great cloud of witnesses. Absolutely. And they have a view from heaven of what's happening here. Yeah. Otherwise, they couldn't be cheering us on. Yeah. And I feel like the Lord gave me this window because I was very hurt. Yeah, I can imagine. It was very difficult. Um, and she died being unhappy with me yeah. for, as far as I knew, calling the following the call of Oof. the Lord in my life. And um, I had this moment where every last bit of pain to do with her rejecting me over um, the call of God on my life went away in a heartbeat because the Lord gave me a tiny glimpse of her cheering me on saying, you're doing God's will. Do it, do it, do it. Like she was the right state, the right. She had the most wonderful attitude. I, I now I'm much more immersed in the things of the spirit much more immersive things of the spirit. <laughs> and, you know, they see beautiful things. The Lord gives us glimpses into heaven and into um, what glory looks like and into um, how we change when we're no longer bound yeah. by this carnal nature at all, where it's all gone in heaven yeah. and who she is in heaven, who wow. all of our relatives are that have known Jesus and are with him in glory. It's completely different. Yeah. They're not holding any grudges. Yeah. They're not calling us names. They're not upset with us anymore. If we are doing God's will, if we're here in Hollywood because we want to be famous and rich and, you know, whatever, then that's different. The, yeah. That's not the call of God on your life. And and what a beautiful thing for your children, because whatever they do, you've been part of that bridge generation that says yes. there's nothing that's not sacred. We can go anywhere God calls us. And there was yes. a big transition. So you you guys fought for something. Yes. And for another generation to walk in freedom. Yeah. And so you're walking in freedom, but I mean, they get a whole nother level because there's no resistance in that sense because no. your kids are beautiful and they're probably going to do exactly what they're called to without any resistance in that sense from family, Yeah, which is really beautiful. Yeah. Agreed. That And that our parenting of them is for them to fulfill the call of God on their lives. That's so awesome. And not interfere with that. Okay. So let's go back into, so you finally yes. made it into the entertainment industry. Yes. You had the resistance from family. They didn't fully understand you and David were in England. You felt to come over here. What makes you make that big of a jump? Is it just raw obedience or was there anything that was leading you? Because I remember when I met you, you guys weren't saying like, and here's our opportunity. I think you even, did your agents even transfer over or did you? Well, we had uh, an American manager came to, um, was an old friend of one of our agents in England. And okay. he came over when uh, they were beginning to hire Brits here yeah. as actors. Um, there hadn't been many. There was the occasional one that was super famous in England that would make it over to movies yeah. in America. Otherwise, English people stayed in England and Americans stayed in America. It just wasn't something you did. Yeah. And, and it was probably, I don't know, 2002, 
maybe 2001, 2002, we had um, this American manager came over to see his friend in the UK and say, who have you got on your client list that you think would work in the States? And he introduced him to David, my husband. David spent the whole meeting talking about me because I'm awesome. <laughs> and so he wanted to meet me too. We're yeah. both actors, both working at a really high level in the UK, doing film and plays yeah. and theater and TV and radio. I don't get to do that very much here. <laughs> radio plays still, still happen <laughs> in amazing. the UK. Um, so he met us and he just said, think about it. And we were like, mm, we'll pray about it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Cause I was in no hurry to move. We just had our first child. We had a big family in the UK. Yeah, we a whole support network. Friends, we'd actually been part of planting a church. We were very connected, very connected. Loved our lives, loved uh, where we lived. There was nothing that was unhappy about wow. our lives. It was an amazing life <laughs> that we had. We were just like, yay, this is awesome. I, I like that you're saying because a lot of people who do move here move because they're hoping it'll get better. Yeah. And no. you guys moved here because God called you. We prayed and the Lord, no. and David said, I really think we should give this a try. And I was like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> this is too lovely. Our yeah. lives are good and it's yeah. going to be hard out there. England has a small industry. We knew everyone. We knew all the casting directors. Yeah. We were friends with everybody at that point. We knew all the, like, well, I met a lot of your friends. Like after you guys moved, I came to, yeah, I went to England a yes. lot and I met like everybody. We knew, knew you guys, everyone they loved you. And I was like, it's so different here. So I was like, I wonder how that's going to transition. Yeah. It was, wow. a, it was a, a hard decision to make. Uh, if it was purely a career decision or purely my decision, I would have stayed because wow. my career would have been brilliant over there. It would have been great. Yeah. But, um, we prayed and the Lord spoke to us and he started showing us scriptures. My heart is beating fast. Exodus 23, 20, where he talks, uh, the Lord is saying, I'll send my angel before you to lead you in the way you should go. Yeah. He's going to take you into the promised land, basically. And I will drive out the hornets before you. I will drive out the yeah. Jebusites and the Hivites. And, and I'm going to take you into the land that I've promised you. And it was like it leapt off the page, hit me in the face, wow. went into my being and became part of me. And I remember being so profoundly affected by God speaking to me through the word that way that I started studying the Exodus story in a very, mm. very profound way. And he, would, he was showing me that prior to this, I had come to LA to, I had shot a pilot for um, FX and had to come here to promote it. And it was the first time I'd been to LA. I wasn't excited about coming. <laughs> um, flattery gets you nowhere with me. I'm like, mm, I can see what you're doing. I don't yeah. like it. Stop. And I come here and the manager of the hotel is offering me gifts. And I'm going, no, this is, <laughs> you don't know me. Yeah. No, I'm not. Why? Ugh, stop it. The California culture. Mm. Um, I was jet lagged and I was praying over the city because I had just had this extraordinary encounter um with the exodus story like wow in my living room wow <laughs> i was ready for breakfast just before coming to la and the lord said fast and pray i was like darn it there's my breakfast <laughs> Wow. fast and pray okay i'll leave my toast i'll leave my tea i'm gonna go <laughs> pray and i found myself kind of marching somewhat and the lord showed me jericho and he showed me hollywood as jericho mm. 
and how to it's part of the promised land but it it's full of giants it's yeah. full of thick walls and full of the whole city of Jericho had to be destroyed and none of the spoils taken and the mm. sin of Achan he took the spoils and they were beaten in the next battle because they had allowed the things of the promised land rather than the the god of the promised land yeah. to take wow. their hearts and so he showed me this whole vision of Jericho and it was all very clear to me what it was. Then I came here and was just praying over the city and I'd had this Exodus moment and started praying through the Exodus story. And the Lord was showing me there are artisans within the church that feel like slaves in Egypt. Yeah. That need to be released. Wow. But to get from Egypt to the promised land, there's the wilderness years of just having God here, like meeting Jesus face to face and living, following the cloud, following the fire, stopping when he says stop, going when he says go, relying on his provision, having nothing for tomorrow, not knowing when anything's going to come in. Like we've all, any artists, doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. Every artist, unless you have a trust fund, has had to live hand to mouth, trusting that the next check is coming Oh my Whether they're saved or not, they're on a faith journey. Absolutely. So totally. Absolutely. But there are, if you're doing this with God, you're going to go through a process of change yeah. where you're ready to go spy out the land as a Joshua or Caleb, if you're ready to go be a Joshua or Caleb. Spy out the land and see that there are giants there, but God can do it. What's God's the problem? Good. His goodness is huge. His, good, his mercy endures forever. I love forever. this because you know, I've sat down on this property and talked to maybe 20 different people who are like you guys active in a, in a really profound way in the entertainment industry who've told me their prophetic journey over Exodus. It's not wild. That's it's like awesome. a major theme here. It's really interesting. One of the guys was explaining that the Hollywood Kodak, it used to be the Kodak theater, the Dolby theater, yeah, I think yeah. it is now that whole mall system was built by these uh, messianic uh, Jewish guys who actually did it as a Babylon because they said, we're going to be Daniels in Babylon in the entertainment industry. And so they made it like a Babylon and they got permission That's where to the do it. Are where the Oscars are, which is super interesting. They did it mm. artistically as a kind of a stake in the land that we're, we're here to be Daniels. Really? I just thought of it, you, I thought you would like that. Just to, I love yeah, that. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so back to this. So you started to see all this while you were on the trip. Yes. And while we were at home and then this manager comes out of LA saying, hey, why don't you come try it out? And we're like, Whoa. Wow, yeah. okay. So we pray, we pray, we pray. We come out here for a summer, like two, three months with our sun and take some meetings and just see that spy out the land literally um and we feel really strongly that we need to start the green card process we start the green card process we had another kid who i think was two by the time we actually moved by wow. the time we got our green cards because we had a family already and we're going to have more kids how are we going to shuttle them back and forth from one country to another, not knowing which is home. We had to choose a home. Oh, wow. Um, So we sold everything in the UK, moved everything over here and decided that this is, if this is where the Lord has called us to, this is our home and we're in all the way in. Yeah. So we arrived to an economic crash and the writers. I remember the writer's strike. The writer's strike. No work, no money, no prospects, another baby on the way. Um, and so the faith journey really began. But you know what? I don't see too many people in scripture that managed to fulfill their destiny staying at home. 
<laughs> it's true. They are all called out away from where they've come from to somewhere completely different because we have to live a life where we are completely reliant on the Lord. Staying in England would have been a really lovely life for me. Yeah. But it wouldn't have been God's highest and best for me. It would have been great and he would have been happy. But if I'm truly going to trust and obey him in in every possible way, which I firmly believe is the best way to live the Christian life is to just obey him no matter what, because if he said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Then um, I want to be part of that and I want to go through what needs to be gone through. (sighs) (laughs) You're like, I'm willing to surrender, which is huge. I mean, like that's, that's the thing that I feel you guys have always carried this. You've carried a level of just I would call it spiritual wisdom of just human wisdom with spiritual understanding of how to live life. Because mm-hmm. uh, I remember when you guys came here, we were, we would have, cause we were more connected than we would talk more. And you guys were on the verge of a lot of projects for the first couple of years, but because of all the strikes and the things that things weren't manifesting. As a matter of fact, one of the projects was on the table. Then I think it was Selma all the way back then. I mean, it took 2007. years. Yep. It took years before that actually manifested. Seven and years. I remember we were just talking about it going, this is crazy that David's going to play Martin Luther, you know, and and, um, and out of all the people who play this role, but then it didn't even happen for so long, like some of these roles. So you had all these opportunities here. And it was really interesting when I interact with you because I had a lot of friends in the industry and they were, a lot of them were on the verge of a lot of opportunities, but they weren't handling, they didn't have spiritual intelligence of how they were handling their own life. Right. And there was such a place of fear in the nation and the nations. Then there was a fear in the entertainment industry. And you guys are like, here and I love what you're saying because you were just surrendered. You're like, this is where we're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. And you were worshiping at a church. You guys were deeply plugged into the church. You guys were just living life, just praying. And it was actually really inspirational to a lot of us who are around you just because this the stability that you held, at least in our conversations behind the scenes, it felt like very real, very genuine, which I it was I think for people here who were here for a long time, you guys were like reinforcements. Yeah. You know, in that time. Yeah. Which is really beautiful. But tell us about that time because it was about two years or three years that were a little bit, they weren't the ideal. They weren't like what you would hope would happen right when you move somewhere. No. Um, but following the pa- the pattern of so many people in scripture, it was totally what was going to happen. Yeah. Like how many of the prophets had to just disappear and live in the wilderness or go yeah. somewhere crazy because um, the Lord needed them to get out the way for a while. And yeah. we needed training. We needed um, to acclimatize to this brand new place. We needed to get deeper with him and in him and him in us to be able to do everything that he'd called us to do. Because, I mean, the more surrendered, submitted you are to him, I think the higher he can take you mm-hmm. because our focus, our exceedingly great reward is him. It's just him. And so our, we had to get super deep into who he is. So what did that look like, though, practically? Like you're a family now of, at that time, five? Yeah. It looked like taking little jobs that paid practically nothing while being unable to find schools for our children that we were happy with. So I felt like the Lord was saying, just stop. You just be with your family right now. You support David pursuing this call on his life. So we moved in May 8th, 2007. And on July 24th, 
I think it was 24th, 2007, the Lord spoke to David when he read the script, Salma, when it first came across our path. Um, You're going to play Martin Luther King in this movie, Selma. And he was like, I just got here. No one has a clue who I am. I'm not American. I'm a Nigerian British guy. Who's going to hire me to play this role? But okay, I'm going to write this down and I'm going to pray and I'm going to see what wow. you're going to do. And the Lord took him on a journey where the, the movie went through four directors. David ended up being part. I've actually nearly finished a documentary about it. It's such an incredible oh, wow. journey of what happened to make that movie happen. The, the amount of things God had to do and shift and change. And um, it was incredible, incredible. And the Lord told me to make a documentary oh, wow. before he shot the movie. So I was filming before he actually, f- they got the green light. I was already shooting because mm-hmm. we knew we'd get the green light at some point. We just didn't know when. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that journey was one where the Lord took him to school and trained him to be ready to play Martin Luther King by giving Mm. him all these little jobs in the help, in red tails, in uh, the Butler, in Lincoln. Which they were all very African-American. African-American Because remember he told me in the beginning, it's like, if I was ever asked to play an African-American role, I don't know that I can even relate completely because I wasn't here. I didn't grow up here. No. And it's entirely different to grow up in England and Nigeria, which he did where you're the majority where he's from a royal family. He has a completely different outlook on life compared to people who are forcibly, their ancestors forcibly brought over to this country yeah. and enslaved for generations and generations. It does something to your psyche and your DNA that is entirely unimaginable for anyone that hasn't been through that. Yeah. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. Yeah. David does not have that as part of his ancestry. He doesn't have that pain. So for him to embody someone who was helping others overcome that was such a, a an honor and a big deal for him. And he was mm. fully aware. So all those movies that led up to that role, they were the training ground. That was training ground. But wow. you know, you're not getting paid much for being in the help when you've got a few scenes and, but he was cast in the help because they said, Oh, you're the guy that's going to play Martin Luther King. We want you to play a preacher. Can you write your own sermon? And we'll put it oh, in the movie. Wow. <laughs> so wow. if you watch The Help and you see David in that, he has this little scene where he's he's literally preaching the gospel. Yeah. he's pre- And he wrote, he got to write the scene. That's amazing. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> but wow. throughout that time, we uh, had to take our kids out of school. We had another child. So we've got four kids running around the country in these tiny independent movies or slightly bigger so you movies. you were taking them with? Taking with and I was homeschooling them. Wow. I'm not qualified to be uh, like I took myself on training courses to conferences to read. I read tons of books. I'm an artist. I was like, yeah, Jesus, you are going to have to do this because I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to mess my kids up in the worst way. <laughs> if I get to homeschool them and it's never been my Shereen passion. And I both feel that way. So like that, that that's yeah. funny to hear. <laughs> are you homeschooling? No. no, we're not. We're actually there in a Christian school, but okay. yeah. It's like, but it's that kind of thing where if God asks us to make that sacrifice, we know we'd have to go to a special spiritual school or something. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Jesus, Absolutely. Please. And there's two things I said I would never do in my life when I was younger. I would never move to America and I would never homeschool my children. <laughs> Hi. Now you have to do the nevers. Like, I'll never be a billionaire. I'll never be, you know. <laughs> wow. So when, when David, his career, because you guys both 
in some ways, I've I've heard from your mutual friends that you're a better actor than he is. This oh, is all the really? way back from England. Yes, I've heard this many That's times. So funny. And so, in some ways, you know, you traditionally, you probably, especially in England, you guys were at the same kind of place. We were. And then you've allowed the career side to run ahead because you're so about family. Totally but what so is about that family. like as but far I've, as, because you still have this other calling that's part of the whole root system of it. And yes. you have got to pop in a few times, but there's this whole part of you that you've allowed to be on hold because this is what takes priority. So how does that work in your marriage? Because Tree and I are doing that a little bit too, like where I'm the content creator right now. And she's, my wife is like a stand-up comedian. She has all the stuff in her life that's like part of her yeah. content creation, but she's she's doing family and running an organization right now. Yeah. So how is that for you guys as far as that partnership? Um, it was rough for a while. It was, it felt like an enormous sacrifice on my part, which isn't a good thing to be thinking. Yeah. Like I'm laying down my life and my calling for you so you can fulfill yours is a terrible way to think. Yeah. It's deadly. It's actually deadly. And there were times where I was bitter and upset about the whole thing because I moved to America not wanting to, following the call of the Lord, and then I'd be praying going, why am I here? Yeah. Why am I here? I could have looked after my kids. Yeah, I could be looking after my kids in England. They could be in school. I could be hanging out with my mom. She could be helping with the kids. They can have relationships with their cousins. I've... My parents are grandparents to 12 children, all within the same age range. Oh, wow. 12 grandchildren, and they're all cousins. They all love each other. And we've taken our kids from that stability and that family and brought them here. And I'm running around the country living in Louisiana, in Alabama, in Georgia, in Mississippi, in all over the place, all over the country where I don't know anyone, uh, raising my kids as in as godly way as I possibly can, but knowing that I was harboring resentment and bitterness, that was not a healthy time. Wow. It was difficult, but the Lord would keep taking me back to Exodus. Be like, you're in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. I need you here. You're in the prison as it were. Not that my kids are a prison. My kids are amazing. No, I think everybody understands the context of it. It's the Joseph, I have a call on my life. Okay, go be sold into slavery and then into prison and then you can fulfill the call. Yeah. It's the David's been anointed to be king and Saul tries to kill him for 13 years before he becomes Absolutely. king. Yeah. So I can literally chart a kind of 13-year journey that Joseph and David went through in my own life. Wow. Of you need to stop now. You need to rest even though you feel like you're in prison. I need to teach you things that you can't wow. learn if you're out there in the world, as it were, doing your thing, fulfilling fulfilling your destiny. It's not my destiny. It's mm-hmm. his kingdom and it's his destiny. And that is what happened in that period of time where the shift came from, you called me to do this and I want to do this and I need to be doing this for you to yeah. whatever you want is what I'm going to do. And if it's to stay here and to have 20 more babies, that's what I'm going to do. And 20. <laughs> that's that's actually not humanly possible <laughs> at this point. But our lives are not our own. I don't yeah. get to choose. But that surrender is, I think, one of the hardest things for people who do family in the industry because yeah. you have, like, 
Like you have some family members who will sacrifice their children at the altar of their career, destiny, whatever they want to call it. And that's what we've dealt with. And one of the reasons why it's so broken, because then those people end up in the industry too, even though they don't want to be the way they are. And they end up creating things out of that place of brokenness. And we've had that perpetual cycle now for generations. And I, I like hearing your language because you've actually had to walk with God in this. I mean, you, in my mind, David's played this civil rights figure over and over and over, and especially culminating with Martin Luther. And I'm sure it's not the last time. And, but that was kind of a, in a season where there's racism as a major issue of our nation, it's, it's, and you guys represent an interracial marriage, there's a war going on. Uh And you guys are like, okay, we'll be on the front lines in Hollywood. Uh And you, but all, you have your normal family, your, your normal life that you're trying to figure out, like, how do we carry this normal life spiritually into this whole, war zone and how to do it well and how do I deal with my what I'm feel you know that I'm called to do in the long term and the big picture and what brings me alive that's a lot well let's not forget we initially felt called here to be missionaries and who are we missionaries to the films or the people it's always the people and without fail the thing that draws people to want to be with us and hang Mm -hmm. out with us is our family wow because family is so broken here it is so broken. People have chosen their careers over family. They've put themselves first. They've put what they what is burning inside them to do before yeah. their spouse or their children. And it has broken so many people into so many little pieces. So when a bunch of <laughs> English people come along who are like, hello, we're a, we're a happy family, which we genuinely are. Yeah. I mean, you can interview my children on this podcast. They can say whatever they like. They can... I don't care, but as a, from my perspective, what I see is a, a bunch of happy whole individuals who are looking forward to fulfilling the calling of God on their life because they see how exciting it is and, Mm -hmm. and that it's difficult and that it will require sacrifice and it's going to require all kinds of things. But what is better? There's just nothing better than, than walking through this life with God and becoming one with him. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's mind blowing. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. mind blowing. So I'm going to ask this, like, was there a moment in time when it was like, okay, on this altar in this place in my bedroom floor, this is when that thing died, or this is when I kind of moved on from that thing, or this is a revelation God gave me. Yeah, for sure. Where, um, I realized I was holding resentments that needed to be put to death. Yeah. Scripture's very clear about what we do with our flesh. Mm-hmm. It isn't to kind of try and gently rest it into a sleep so that it doesn't bother us anymore. It's like get out the knife, stab it. it in the heart, yeah. bury it and walk away. Like it's violent talk because our carnal nature is a violent Thing. Oh yeah, it's it keeps at, you in such a prison. It's an at, yeah. it's at enmity with God. So I, if I'm, if I'm going to be friends with my flesh, I'm an enemy of God. Yeah. I have to choose to kill the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> so I had this moment where I was like, I'm going for prayer. I'm going for in it like an intense inner healing thing, and I'm going to repent. I love that. I'm just going to repent. I'm going to repent of everything, and I'm going to understand that doesn't matter what is inside me that even if God has put it there, it belongs to him. Yeah. Wow. So let's give it to him and let's let him do whatever he wants. And if that means 
this, it means if it means this, I mean, if if he wants to, I don't care anymore. Yeah, I cannot live like this. I'm miserable. I'm I'm not able to be a good wife. I'm not able to be a good mother, and I certainly can't fulfill any external calling outside of the family uh, because I'm I'm mad all the time. So no, it's so cute. I thank you for sharing that. Just because everybody has to go through their own place of surrender, you know, and, and repentance or whatever you want to call it. Just that place. Even if you're in the dream state, if you're living out a dream where it's like all good circumstances, I mean, I'll talk to people who they went through their five projects that they've hoped for their whole life and it happened and there was, they still had to go through a place of like putting to death something. It's like, there's a surrender of walking with God. And then I, I think of, um, I listened to an interview. I don't know if you've heard of Chip and Joanna Gaines. Yeah. So Joanna, when she talked about, she was just about to do her main career and then she felt like to put it on hold for the kids to be home with the family. It was a really hard decision for her. And I know for Sri and I, we were talking about that a little bit just because it really ministered to where we're at. And it was one of those things where, you know, as a husband who's looking at my wife going, you know, I want you to do whatever's in your heart, no matter what, we'll, we'll figure out how to hire support or whatever else. And she said, there's no one we can hire to take place of mom nope. and build this right no. now. And I need to, I need to be focused on this because our, our kids will pay a price. I'm not willing for them to pay. Yep. And you need to pay the price too. And I looked at it and I thought, wow. So I went from traveling like 150 days a year to like 60 days a year and just said, okay, I'm with you. Like, let's do family. Let's slow down in the times we're getting the best opportunities in our entire life. And yep. we had to say no to everything. Yep. And it was, but it was so beautiful when we did, like, it was such a, like, there's a different quality of life. It was the hardest work we've ever done and we're still in it, but the, it was so beautiful when we did. And so I kind of hear in your story, like there's something about a lot of people who may not see the side of it. Cause like you're, they're just watching their yellow family. It's blowing up all oh, the opportunities. They'll see you pop into acting every once in a while. David's in all these major movies and they don't realize the price you're paying that there's a, multiple prices. There's multiple levels of what you're doing this for Jesus because you are missionaries. Like yes. you're saying, and that's, I think it's a huge picture people don't know. Yeah, for sure. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk some more about the entertainment industry. Got it. Love it. Hey, Exploring the Industry listeners, we have an incredible book that I just released just for you. My new book, Provision, Prophecies, Prayers, and Declarations is out now. I wrote this book so that you would have a very specific tool to help you use words to define your own history and future with God. Throughout human history, we've seen prayer and the prophetic and declarations shape society, set culture, provide heritage, and bring vision for the future. And when you combine prayers, declarations, and prophecies like you encounter in this book, you become even more intentional about the power of words. Prophecies, prayers, and declarations are instrumental for us to enter our promised land. This book, Provision, Prophecies, Prayers, and Declarations, will cover topics in finances, resources, family, influence, favor, business, and more. Through this book, I'm inviting you on the journey of learning how to use words to speak in the very fabric of your life, the spiritual realm, and the world around you. I pray that you'll find yourself using and reusing this book as you hear God speak to your heart. You can get our book anywhere books are sold, but if you get it at bullsministries.com and you pre-order it or post-order it, you're going to get a very exclusive teaching series. So I want to encourage you to get it there. So here we go. I have a game for you. Okay, it's very serious. We're going to play something real, something fake. I'm going to tell you real and fake facts about things related to your life. And you have to decide. <laughs> You're like, what is this going to be? You have to decide what's true and what's not. This is going to be very exciting. So, Holy Spirit, help me. <laughs> you can't use a God card on okay, this one. Okay, no, okay. I'm just kidding. So you were in the National Youth Music Theater in England. How long were you in that? 
It was one show that spread out over uh, about a year and a half. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I have some facts about the National Youth Music Theater director. No way. And you have to decide which one is true. <laughs> no. <laughs> the National Youth Music Director came under fire when he wouldn't enroll Prince William for reasons he said were he couldn't really sing. So to maintain true actors in our so- association, we need people who can actually sing. He ended up having to give Prince William an honorary title and include him in the alumni after the Queen herself refused to attend their yearly show that was in her honor. That's fact number one. Fact number two, drama schools are a waste of money, says National Youth Theater Directors NYT, as he comes under fire for suggesting that the majority of actors don't need formal training but should listen instead to their agents and get marketing skills that enable them to get work. Which one is true? <laughs> I would say neither. Mm, I'd say the second one is true. The second one is true. It's true. So he came under fire. This is actually back like five years ago. He's not the current national youth director anymore. So, but he was one and he got in major trouble for that statement, which I thought was interesting. (laughs) You played in Alice in Wonderland. That's so fun. I was in Alice in Wonderland. How was that? Super fun. I was also in Sleepy Hollow. So Tim Burton and I have had this, this little, very, you know, little roles in his films, but very interesting guy. Yeah, he seems very interesting. Mm-hmm. We actually enjoy many of his movies, which some Christians think are all too dark, but I really enjoyed. Like Alice in Wonderland, I thought it was a brilliant movie. Yeah. Which is good. Okay, so this isn't about your Alice in Wonderland, but it's about Alice in Wonderland in general. Yes. And there's two facts. One is true and one's not true. Number one, Walt Disney actually had a dream of making Alice in Wonderland a feature for nearly 30 years. He had a dream back in 1923 when he was still making silent shorts for Laugh-O-Gram Studio in Kansas City, and he made one called Alice in Wonderland based on the dream. Number two fact. Alice in Wonderland syndrome is a real thing where mostly children have lucid dreams of being in a fantasy world where they can't tell fact from fiction, according to Psychology Today in 2013. Which one is true? Both are. <laughs> I don't know. The first one is true. The first one is true. Can you believe he had yes. a dream? And he made that movie yes. based on a dream. And I they almost made it. it live action. They actually did the whole thing in live action. And then they decided it wasn't going to be good as a live action. It was a little too creepy. Yeah. So they had cell by cell animation based on the live action. Wow. Isn't that interesting? I learned that studying for you. Really? <laughs> I did. I that never knew these things. Here's an exciting one. You and your beautiful family now reside in Tarzana, California, in the valley. Yes, we do. We have a valley fact and a Tarzana fact, and you have to decide which one is true. Okay. So we have the Southern California community of Tarzana was so named after the famous ape man, Tarzan, character created by Edgar Rice Burroughs, one of the town's early residents. That's fact number one. Mm-hmm. Fact number two, Tarzana is part of the area... That Valley Speak or Valley Talk originated Valley Girls as an American dialect originally of the San Fernando Valley, including Tarzana. It is an associate it is associated with young upper class white women called Valley Girls. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like you mean Valley yes. Girls? You okay. Could be one. This um, is so good. I would say fact one is true. Fact one is true. 100%. You are a Valley Girl. Look at this. And they actually have Valley dudes. Are your boys becoming valley dudes at all? <laughs> no. no, thank God. My eldest still has an English accent. He said to me when oh, he was whoa. five, we moved to him when he was five, he's 17 now. He goes, Mommy, I'm never going to lose my accent. You must tell me if oh, I, I ever that. sound American. <laughs> no, my favorite thing when you guys first came, we were first meeting, I actually asked both of you to do American accents. And you do really, obviously, you just did one. 
you do such good accents. Like, it's so I great. I love accents. Oh, they're the best. And I can't You can do ask them. me to do any accent. Have I ever like, done my English accent for you? I wish you would. Please don't ever ask me to do it because Sean, it sounds like Sean, will you please Cockney, do an English accent? Ter- oh, it's the worst. It's the it's my wife. My wife gets, here's what I do. This is all I can do. This is terrible. It's like, hello. Hello. Totally. I sound like what, you know, all I want is I'm <laughs> like, I sound like Cockney, terrible. Like I was listening to Chris Pratt doing an interview um, yeah. over on the Grand Norton show and he could actually do a perfect like Cockney accent to the point. Wow. It was crazy. And I said, I wish I could at least do a perfect Cockney accent, anything. You well, know? tomorrow no. I'm going to go to my son's school and teach the cast of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang to do English <laughs> accents properly. Awesome. So anyone wants to join, oh I my can gosh. teach you. I would love to learn. Okay, here we go. So out of those two, the number one was true. But the guy who lived, or Edgar Rice Burroughs, yes. who actually did create Tarzan, actually did own some land developments, but they did not name it after him. So no, but they named it after Tarzan. Here's an interesting one. You're married to David Oyelowo, who's best known for Selma, Red Tails, and many other movies. We want to see if you know how tall the world thinks he is. <laughs> According to Celebrity Birthdays, he is 5'7". According well, to Celebrity Facts online, he is 6'1". Which one do you think is true? <laughs> they are both true online. That's what no. they say. <laughs> He's 6'1 and 5'7"? Yeah, I was like, that's, that's a, a big, big, diverse... Range. I was looking at facts about him just because I thought it'd be funny to bring something on here. I'm like, wow, he's so many different heights. There was three different heights he had on three different sites, and I just added two of them. I was like, I wonder how. I think he's like five ten, right? It's five nine. Okay, five nine. He thinks he's seven foot tall. So (laughs) he is a basketball player. The the six one was closer to his imagination. Five seven, he would be. Gutted. He would be devastated. That's like <laughs> those two inches. Five are a seven lot. is Tom Cruise. That's that's mm-hmm. tiny me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like I'm six foot four. So that's like when I'm around somebody who's really. I was around someone yesterday who was tiny. very little compared to me. Mm-hmm. And and people don't like to be thought of as little. Nope. <laughs> Men don't like that. Mm-hmm. No, but five nine is he's he's a good stature. He's good. That's a good stature. I hate the word average, but sorry, babes. <laughs> Pretty average. That's amazing. Well, thank you for playing our game with us. You're welcome. <laughs> That was awesome. Everyone needs someone to process their prophetic journey with them. And we have created a new online mentoring platform where you can grow at your own pace, where we help you to develop your own spiritual journey of hearing God's voice. I want to help be your mentor. We have videos, interactive webinars, over five new videos each week. They're going to advance you in your journey and authority. We have so many special opportunities in this platform that you don't want to miss it including all of our other e-courses coming for free when you subscribe. Come grow with me. Let me train you in your ability to hear from God and interpret what you hear and really bring applications so that your real life is affected by your spiritual faith. Go to bowlsministries.com and sign up under e-courses. One of the things I'm excited about is when we do these table talk type times, we get to hear about things that are projects you're working on, but also the behind-the-scenes reasons why. Mm. So you guys started a production company mm-hmm. recently in the last couple of years? We've kind of always had one in our back pocket in England. We started a youth theatre ourselves, having oh, been wow. so profoundly affected by a youth theatre in Brighton, where we lived on the south coast. We started the Brighton Dome Youth Theatre. Nice. And actually, one of our alumni has carried it on. Oh, it's amazing. He now so has the Brighton there. Youth Theatre that he runs and I saw him a couple of weeks ago he was out here doing a play nice. so yeah we we've always had production in mind something where we um aren't acting solely 
Um, Because as an actor, you can feel like a cog in somebody else's machine. For sure. And um, you have to do your part and you serve the story and you do everything you can to make that story fly. Yeah. But how about being the person who gets to tell the story in the first place and create the story and be the person who gets to create parables, essentially modern-day parables, um, and difficult stories and exploring uh, people's lives that traditionally Christians wouldn't necessarily explore. Okay, tell one of those then, because that's like, what does that mean? Because it's very... you're speaking very cryptic, and I'm excited about it. It's like, what are you working on? This is awesome. Well, we we now have a production company. Um, we have 16 movies and 13 TV shows in oh, development. Wow. Just a few. S- just a few. <laughs> um, David and I have always felt this is partly the the pain behind not being able to com- f- fulfill my career moment. Yeah. Um, was we knew that we were called to do something together. Mm-hmm. Um. And, you know, David has had his own journey. While I was going through what I was going through, he was going through all kinds of crazy too. I'm sure. And we both had to reach a, a point where we're uh, ready yeah. to partner in a very real way on content creation. All of a sudden, it's it's like 16 things. You know, it's like all of a sudden, it's 16. All of a sudden, I mean, like, that's just the movies. I know. And then how many shows? <laughs> 13. 13. Not, not actually all happening. They're all being no, developed at various stages of development. But I love that you're going from, I mean, I, I'm just going back to our, our story we were talking about before and how much of a price you had to pay and actually like let God do this identity work and learn about the Exodus journey. And then all of a sudden, it's not just about coming here and acting. It's actually coming here to be moms and dads and actually create content. Yep. That's amazing. Amazing. Wow. And if... I, I I remember thinking in my early twenties, I'd love to direct. It, it'd be I think I'd be good at that. It'd be a fun thing to do, but I wasn't yet fully aware of what it actually takes. Yeah. Um, and it until you had four kids. Until no, I had four kids, and I'm directing a multinational multinational corporation every day. Um, it's a it's a really interesting journey to go on to be ready to to tell a story from the ground yeah. up and not just be part of telling that story yeah it was that's relatively easy for me as an actress acting has comes naturally i've done lots of work and it's you know something i can do yeah um so then to learn how to get behind the camera how to make every frame tell the story how to write how to produce how to make a budget work how to do all the things that need to how to build relationships with financiers and um executives and all kinds of no it's huge things. the whole it's business huge. of the industry it is and um so we are so in your spare few minutes a day oh my goodness my day <laughs> is literally scheduled minute by minute and i'm uh i'm, I'm an energetic person yeah there's no question about that but i yeah, I have to make sure I get in bed at it's a certain time. Otherwise, capacity. the next day will not work. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, so, yeah. We're, so we're how many creating. of these projects are faith-based? Very few. No, it's amazing. I'm, I'm loving it. It's, one of the reasons why we did this show is because we're actually trying to show people who are mostly not faith-based in the different industries in the sense of like Christians. You don't call a football player a Christian sport. You just say a Christian football player. You know, he's a yes. Christian. And someone's <laughs> film, there's there's whole shows dedicated to faith-based shows, and that's great. Yeah. But I love that you guys are going after something because as missionaries, you have to tell stories that actually culturize culture. Yeah. That yes. aren't, you know, so agenda-driven. Well, I wouldn't say it's hard to answer because they're not faith-based as in, this story is about Jesus. 
but they are always about Jesus. Yeah, they're you know always. What I mean? It's you're going to tell stories that are relevant to your. I'm going to tell redemptive faith. stories yeah. every time, but they may include characters like I say, as I crypt- cryptically said, that Christians don't always want to have to relate to. Yeah, because we live in a world where everyone needs the gospel, regardless yeah. of who they are, and so. Um, yeah, we have things like I'm developing a show. Um, we're heavily involved in anti-human trafficking and it's a hard story to tell and put on screen for people to actually watch because yeah. it's a difficult subject. Nobody wants to talk about children being abused. Nobody wants Nobody. to talk about that. We want to talk about children being rescued. We want to talk about what it takes to be that kind of personality that can do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm developing a TV show that is um, addressing that side of the trafficking wow. story of the crazy people who are willing to go in and rescue those kids. Is it a documentary style or is no, it a TV? A, okay, TV. Like a limited series. That's wild. Yeah. Um, we are developing a musical with Disney. That's amazing. <laughs> like for a younger age group or yeah, for all ages? It's, it's a kind of, I suppose you'd put it in the realm of Cinderella in terms oh, nice. of feel. Yeah. But it's a it's it's taking two very beautiful classical plays and making them into a musical. Taking Othello and Cyrano de Bergerac, nice. where there's an outsider. You have a Shakespearean background too, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, that's like one of your big things. You were in the Shakespearean theater. David, yes, I wow. I did a lot of Shakespeare uh, classical theater. It's it's a staple in England. You, yeah. you won't meet an actor who actually. That's why you guys are real actors. Some some people here were like, oh, it's. It's a whole other level there. <laughs> it's very different. It's, it's very, very different. And we don't yeah. get paid. So it's like wow. you earn 300 pounds a week if you're lucky to be wow. in the Royal Shakespeare Company and doing theater at the highest level. That's yeah. So you're never doing wow. it for the and money. It's, it's such a high level of acting. Like I've seen some of the shows. And I'm just like, this is better than the movies that Hollywood has made about. <laughs> These that spend $100 million on one movie. And this is better. And these are just the normal players. Yeah. You know, that's crazy. It's a skill, though, to shift from theater to film is very different. Yeah. So, you know, you have to learn that, too. But when you learn that your craft is to serve a story, not to serve yourself, it's not about making tons of money. It's about uh, communicating yeah. with humanity. It, it gives you a different perspective. So I cut you off because you were talking about the two types of Shakespearean type backgrounds for the musical. Yeah. And I wanted to just mention that yes. just because I think it's important that you're going to present something differently because of your background. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. That's and so amazing. we go to Disney and we say, Hey, because of our background in, cl- in classical theater, we have this idea to combine these two wow. shows and make it into a big musical romp set in England in the 1800s. And, that you know, swashbuckling. We have a, a big pirate story we're developing about Long John Silver. We have um, much smaller things. I'm, I'm developing a movie about poets, uh, young spoken word kids. Oh, I love that in LA. How, how hard it is to to grow up as a as a teenager without a family in LA. Wow. We're very into. Um, we're actually going to be fostering to adopt a child. Wow. We're in the process now and because of trafficking, like we've become so aware of a lot of the children come from the foster care system that end up being trafficked. So what can we do very practically to help somebody not end up there? Um, So we have a passion for telling the underdog story, the kid without family, the, how they can make it through what, what it takes. And for both of us, what it took for us to actually come out here and do what we are called to do. It Mm -hmm. takes support it's really hard to do it on your own. Yeah. And despite coming out here without family, 
I love my family. My family are awesome. But Jesus said, well, who are my mother? Who are my brothers and my sisters? Yeah. The ones that do the will of the Lord. So we find wherever we go in the world, we have family and we have a support network network so we go to prague to shoot something and we find an english-speaking church and they're our family while we're there wow. and we go to uganda to shoot a movie and while we're there we find a church and those are our family that like the the body of christ is our family wherever we go in the world and we get to share this with them and support them in whatever they're doing which we do we become active in whichever church we go to wherever we are in yeah. the world and serve their ministry um and receive the support that's amazing that they give to us to be able to fulfill what we need to do wherever we are they must be devastated when you guys leave <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure they always notice <laughs> They're like no that family's gone well let's talk about even producing and going into that kind of mode of yeah. wanting to actually become a production uh-huh. family uh, what does that look like for like are your kids wanting to get involved are they already thinking about that or are they too we not have formally yet? we'll see um, you know, kids change their mind regularly. Um, I, I've never experienced that. Uh-huh. Really? <laughs> I've um, had an astronaut, a president. Mm-hmm. I've had like, you know, everything that we all have. Like yeah. every day it changes. Yeah. Yep. Our eldest so. was going to be an inventor. He was going to be some kind of engineer. And then um, he started getting into pr- producing music. Oh, nice. And he is very good. He's very gifted. He'd like to score movies. Ooh. It's a hard world to get into, but he's he's very very gifted. He's very yeah. good. He's taking courses. He's teaches himself. It's his downtime. At seventeen, he's a junior at a very academic school now. There, my kids are all at school now. Um, he has a lot of homework, and he has AP classes, and he has sports, and he has yeah. this, and he has that, and he's active in church. And he, um, his way to unwind is to produce music. That's he amazing. Loves it. He's he must be so proud. I am very proud. Because of your musical background. Yes. So, I mean, like a movie like La La Land comes out, and all of a sudden the industry is ready for musicals. And I've heard there's like 25 musicals being produced behind the scenes. I mean, that must make you excited to some degree. Yes. Because part of who you are is music. Yes. I mean, that's that's exciting. Do you have more musicals besides the one, or are you not sure yet? Not sure yet. I mean, there will be for sure. Long John Silver as a musical would be really good. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It could be actually. But (laughs) But what you can do with musicals, if you look at what musicals are actually addressing, you can address incredibly difficult subjects with music. Absolutely. People will listen. Comedy and music. If you sing it. Yeah. Yeah, those two things. You can say whatever you want to say. You know, let's do a musical about domestic violence. That'd be amazing. I mean, literally, you can have women singing about what's happening in their lives and people will want to share with them because of the music they're receiving rather yeah. than just the pain. Yeah. You know, there's there are a million things you can do with a musical. You can do La La Land. You can do a happy... Um, well, actually, La La Land wasn't that happy. It was about two people trying to make it in Hollywood yeah. and breaking up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but... It, it, musicals can cover all kinds of things. So, yeah, I feel like we're going to do more of that. We also have a musical in the works um, that is based on a real story, which is amazing, about a Congolese orchestra. Ooh. It's the true story of an airline pilot who, in the middle of civil war in the Congo, in the poorest country in the world, the country's just been ripped apart for 60 years of civil war, he wow. decides to start an orchestra, oh my a gosh. symphony orchestra. And people come from everywhere, from the slums, from the nicer parts of town in Kinshasa, and they 
not only did they not know how to play the instruments, they didn't have instruments to play. <gasps> so they made their own instruments. Oh my gosh. And created a symphony orchestra. And they are stunning. They're stunning. Wow. And so David, Angelina Jolie and Will Smith got the rights to um, a 60 minutes piece that they did on it and asked David to direct the movie. That's amazing. That's so fun. It's so fun. And they sing the Hallelujah, Hallelujah Chorus. Like, yes. They have a full choir, full symphony orchestra, and they're singing the Hallelujah Chorus. Yeah. And it's stunning. Yeah. Okay, so here's where I'm going to go with that, because I, I think you guys are navigating really well the real industry. Because there's kind of sub-industries. There's like, it's kind of like, I was looking at it like there's the guys who are trying to make movies for church. They really are. And they're, yeah. sometimes they go mainstream, it's great, and yeah. it's beautiful, and we, we celebrate those things. And then there's people who are making movies as Christians to really affect Christianity. And there's people who are just making art. Yeah. And I put you guys in the more of the artist category. Yeah. So in making art, how would you talk to other people who are artists, who are Christians, who want to make art, and they they haven't, maybe they're still in the battle of with their family or with their faith of, as far as like, what is this? Like, how, how do I position myself? And, you know, I remember one of my friends, they made a movie that won all these awards and the church wouldn't, it was a short film and the church wouldn't stand behind them that they were in who, who had millions of dollars put in the entertainment industry because they wouldn't put a scripture on the front. And they had to like, it took them 10 years to graduate in their hearts. Like they're okay to create without that level of faith basedness. I know it's really sad, but I mean, like we've come a long way, so I don't think we're there anymore. That's like an old conversation. But um, you guys are in a place where it's, you know, you, you've only been pretty much in the mainstream art world of creativity. So how would you speak to other entertainment people about that journey? Like, give us a little bit of the process of that. Like, how do you make mm. decisions? How do you protect art and not do the fringy things that are, is it really obvious to you whenever someone asks you to do something that might have a good budget, might be a good opportunity, but it, it's it's not the right genre for you? Is it like super obvious right away? Not always. And the, and the yeses aren't obvious either. Yeah. Um, the no's, what we have always done is surround ourselves by people who know better than us. Wow. On every level. So spiritually more mature, mothers and fathers in the faith, people who know the word better than us, people who are walking more closely with Jesus. Um, and we ask them to pray and we ask wow. them to to help us with difficult decisions. Some are obvious yeah. and some are not. And, um, but we also do that in our work. So there's always going to be someone who knows better than you. Yeah. So if you're going to be, a I don't think everyone believes that though. Just so you know, I don't think everyone believes Come on, that. People. No, it's true though. I think people look at it and go, I'm alone in this. That's, that's the biggest thing in, in entertainment is like, I have to make this decision. Well, there's and people who've done, who have more experience than you. Yeah. Because they're older and they've yeah. been doing it for longer. They're yeah. just, the principles in scripture, generational principles in scripture are very clear. God does things generationally. He yeah. includes the grandparents, parents, and children. It's to the third and fourth generation. It's to the thousandth generation. Jesus, the scripture is generational. Yeah. Um, every decision I make for my life is going to affect my grandchildren. It's wow. just how it works. Yeah. And so if we're not going to honor those who've gone before us, if we're not going to honor our parents in the faith, if we're not going to honor the parents in the industry, then we only have ourselves to blame. It's true. Yeah. No, it's good. What's, is there a time you can look back and look at a decision you guys made that um, was a hard decision to say no to? Yeah. But within 
a very short space of time, it becomes very clear why we were asked to say no. Okay. Usually. Yeah. So it's hard to remember them because they were closed doors. I feel like, this might be a little controversial, but I'd like a little bit of controversy. So do I. This is perfect. Revelation 3, 7 and 8 says, I have the key of David and I will open doors that no man can shut and I will shut doors that no man can open. And he says it, Jesus says that because you've, you've have, you have a little faith (laughs) and you've kept my word. So I'm going to do this for you. Wow. And I believe that when we were living in England, we were living under Revelation 3, 7 and 8, and we were grateful for every door that he opened and every door that he closed. When we moved here, the scripture Isaiah 22, 22 became like a blaring noise in our ears of, I have laid the key of David on your shoulder. You will open and shut. Yes. And we went, Yes. oh, this is what happens when you give your teenager a house key. Mm -hmm. You say, I'm giving you the right to this home now. I'm giving you a car key. And all your food has gone out of your refrigerator from that point on. But the... it's not necessarily graduation. It's just maturing. Yeah. It's a maturity that he then says, all right, we're going to partner on this now. I'm not going to be like, here's the door. Come through, baby. No, it's such a great principle because you're talking about sonship. You're talking about, I'm a Christian. I'm making decisions out of a powerful place of identity. He doesn't have to tell me everything because now I know in my maturity how to say no. Yeah. Based on conviction, based on love, based on value, based on my legacy, like you just said, yeah. which I think is, it's, you know, if you talk to people who are, who care about more of the prophetic type things behind the scenes in Hollywood, almost everyone I would know would say Isaiah 22 is a big deal to them, which yeah. is crazy. Or they see the number 22, 22 all the Everywhere. time. And it's because they're, because God's trying to give us the authority. Yes. But it's a process. But if we're still drinking milk, we can't have the authority exactly. because we're going to make stupid decisions and we're going to open the wrong door. Yeah into our own lives and we're going to invite things in that we shouldn't be inviting in because we don't have the maturity for it. I think we grow up once we get past the milk and we get onto the meat of the Mm -hmm. word and we actually start fully surrendering our lives to God. He says, okay, good. We can partner with this. We're his workmanship. We're here for him to be working with us on certain, on life. Um, We have a destiny and a calling in God to establish his kingdom. So, you know, we we make our decisions based on his will, his word, his ways. The way that we uh, conduct ourselves is um, going to be a reflection on him. But then he asks us to do stuff. Where we go, are you kidding me? <laughs> no. Give us one of those stories. I want to hear one of those. Okay. No one ever. I love you, Lee Daniels, with all of my heart. <laughs> but do not watch this movie. It's not godly. <laughs> David was cast to play Martin Luther King Jr. by Lee Daniels, who's a director. Lee stepped away from the project, but David stayed on as Martin Luther King. Lee went on to direct um, two movies with David, one called The Paperboy and one called The Butler. Okay. He was offered The Paperboy and he read the script and he was like, no, this is a full N-O, no way, not a chance, how can I go to church and be in this film? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Knowing that some of the other people in church have seen the movie. No, I can't do this. And our amazing 
pastors at the time who we still consider our spiritual mother and father, Rick and Pam Wright. Yeah, I love them. Love them. Love you. They, um, Rick and another amazing man in our church, Keith, they really interceded on David's behalf over this decision. And they both heard from the Lord that he needs to do it because he needs to be a friend to Lee Daniels. Yeah. To the director. Yeah. And he was. He did they did it. They got a 16-minute standing ovation at the Cannes Film Festival. Wow. They applauded for 16 minutes. Wow. Someone timed it. That's how amazing the French audience thought the film was. 250,000 people saw that movie. Or maybe it was $250,000 they made at the box office. I think it was a quarter <laughs> of a million dollars. I think yeah. it was a quarter of a million dollars they made at the box office. No one saw it. Wow. No one saw the movie. But David's relationship with Lee and Lee will tell you this was profoundly affected by that film and what happened on that film and who David was able to pray with. And if you just look it up and see who's in the cast, he prayed with everybody. He was on set with everyone and to the outside people looking in Christians would definitely condemn David for doing that job with, I would like no way, bad person, naughty Christian, (laughs) but, what you don't know if people do if people have a track record of making good choices and then they suddenly make one like that it's not that they've made the wrong choice it's that god has told them to do something that makes no sense jesus went to zacchaeus like track record though because yes. it's like really clear yes it's like it's daniel's in babylon he's studying astrology but he never practices it yes and he makes all these good decisions that israelites are saved from so then they stop judging and they go okay wait a minute maybe god's put him there right you know. But it takes a track record to prove that. Yeah. And you go, you've got to give people time to come around to the fact that maybe God was right about yeah. this. And whichever voice in our heads, whether it was our parents or our pastors or Sunday school teacher who told us that this thing was wrong, maybe we need to rethink that. Maybe we need to allow God to instruct us to do crazy things. Jesus hung out with prostitutes, tax collectors, drunkards, he yeah. was with those guys. He was with all the people in Paperboy all the time. That's what yeah. he did. So why are we any different? It's The issue is it's what you then put out into the world. Yeah. But I would say as an artist, you're a truth teller. The point of artistry, whether it's painting, whether it's singing and songwriting, whether it's... Uh, telling stories through any medium, the point of what you're doing is to tell the truth, is to reach the truth. Yeah. The most natural consequence of truth-seeking is to find Jesus, as far as I'm concerned. Because yeah. <laughs> he is the truth. So if we're truly going to go on our, our journey as artists, we are ultimately always going to end up with Jesus. Mm-hmm. We're always seeking truth. Yeah. So I'm going to tell a story about poets in LA who are homeless. Some of them are taking drugs. Some of them are lying. Some of them are sleeping with each other. Some of them are doing all kinds of crazy things. Truthfully, that's what's happening with our teenagers. Truthfully, they're killing themselves. Truthfully, Mm -hmm. this is what's actually happening. And so why would I not address these massive issues that our young people are going through? Um, And they're not spouting scripture. They are not because nobody's yeah. reaching them because the church is too afraid of them. They're afraid yeah. of all these homeless, broken children. So um, there are, of course, wonderful people who are, are reaching a lot of them. 
but on a mass level, yeah, a mass level within uh, mass statistics media. Statistics are so low. I mean, it's so low. It's so low, but we are within mass media. We're not targeting, as Christians, who are we trying to reach? Are we gonna, There are people who are definitely called to um, create stories and tell stories that are going to encourage Christians. Yeah. But not everybody is. Not everybody's called to be a pastor of a church. Some people are called to go out into the world yeah. and the minister yeah. to the world. Very few people are actually called to, you know, be pastors in a church. So if we're going to take that calling seriously, then you're going to have to involved, be involved with artistry that isn't um, comfortable all the time. Yeah. I think it's interesting because our we had this friend who she took an HBO show and it had like some light pornography. She was a, a executive producer on the show. And then became a creative producer on the show. And while she was doing it, the two script writers that were on this particular show that were the mo- they were, did most of the episodes. Did, there was like five script screenwriters, but there was two that were like the most prolific, and they were brothers. And she felt like God told her to take the show. She she had us all pray with her, and we said, "Yeah, we feel like there's something you're supposed to do on the show. Yeah. There's an assignment." Yeah. But I mean, it's not like something she wanted on her IMDb. She doesn't. She didn't want to be linked to the show, but she's like, "I have to do this. Like, I have to take that in stride with everything else in my career." And they wanted to do unsimulated sex for the first time on HBO uh, on a on a show like this, like this pornographic whatever show. But it was um, a drama. It wasn't like a real show. It was like a drama. And she was like, no. And to explain to the president of HBO, this is why you don't do this. This is why you shouldn't do this. This is coming from these two screenwriters who are totally perverted. And these guys, you don't want to be even linked to them long-term. It's like, what are you talking about? They're making us the most money of any show because whatever. And she just did this battle. She goes, on my watch, I'm saying, no, you have to fire me if you want this done because my role is the creative content producer for this, whatever. So she, they ended up not doing it. And within a month of her fighting and these guys making her look terrible and the inner politics and the whole thing, one of them was put in jail for child pornography (gasps) and one of them was put in jail for something else within a month of that and HBO would have been sunk by the decision because they were going to be, they were going to do this whole campaign. Like we're edgy, we're doing this whole thing we're whatever. And it went back into just storytelling versus a sexual thing. Like we're going to do the show that breaks the, that seal type thing. And she's as a Christian was saying, no, this isn't HBO's calling. This isn't what HBO should be doing. And she reminded them of their core values, even Mm. though, because they didn't have core values and she reminded them, yeah, she goes, I always thought as a gatekeeper, I was going to open the gates of heaven over the industry, but I'm actually shutting the gates of hell. And I yes. just didn't realize like that God was going to take some of my time to be a gatekeeper to stop something from happening. Yes. So there's all these That's things awesome. that God has us in, like where he puts people in the entertainment industry at the right time, at the right place. And sometimes the opportunity doesn't look like the right opportunity or it doesn't look like the right thing because of like what you're saying. It's like not the movie that you want to be branded by, but in the context of a career, it's like some of the places that I've even gone to as far as like where God's had us go to different places, the context of my career, um, it made a lot of sense, but in the context of the moment, or if that's where you live, that's obviously not going to be a good place to live, but in the context of career. So I think it's really important because we are gatekeepers. Like you said, you have the key of David you like to have that key of David. We do have to shut some doors or we do have to open doors in places that none of those people would ever come to a place where we reach them any other way because yep. we're supporting something that's really precious to them. Yep. And then all of a sudden they open their hearts or their lives or their entertainment industry to us, which is really crazy especially when you're an artisan doing it. But when you're creating content, it's totally different because when you're creating and you're producing, it's like you have full reign and rule and the whole thing. It's not just a job. Well, if you think about representation, uh, there's been such a a hoo-ha, as we'd say in England, about um, representation of 
non-white people and yeah. women because Hollywood has historically been run by white men. So yeah. they're going to represent what they know, of course, which is white guys. And in the boys club, the boys club, but, yeah. but also just, this is who I am. This is what I understand. So this is what I'm going to put on screen because mm-hmm. I have the power to do that. If you're gonna, if we, the only way to change who's being represented is to change who gets to represent yeah. the people. So you have to have people of color, women creating the content to then have stories about yeah. people of color and women. It's just, it's, ba- it's very basic, but that's how it, that's how it is. If we look at the number of, of, of on fire born again, Christians who are working at a high level in Hollywood, you know, it's not very many. Yeah. It's very, there's very more than we think, but it's not, it's, it's not, not, it's not a, a lot, but if there's more of us doing this, yeah. if people will follow through on the call of God into the, into their uh, artistry fully all the way in, yeah, doing what it takes to not to be in the world, but not of it and to follow whatever God is calling them to do, the representation will change. Absolutely. It's easy to laugh at Christians in Hollywood because there's not anyone to say, hold on a second, we're not all like that. Yeah. Or that's not fair. You can't talk about Jesus like this because there's no one at the table. Totally. If, if we're not at They're the like, table. Oh, let's make a zombie movie. The Christians will be the bad guys again. Like yeah. that's what it is every time. Be- and we can't blame Hollywood for that. Yeah, absolutely. We're responsible for representation. Yeah. So where are we? Yeah. Why are we not here representing Jesus properly? Yeah. We can so good. We can make we can sign all the petitions we like and I do sign petitions about about things about I don't want this and I don't want this and yeah. I don't want this. But you're not taken seriously if you're not a creative voice at the table. Well, the best way to protest is actually manifest the opposite. Um, that's just you can sign petitions all, all day long, but we, I think, you know, women are doing well with women's rights for the first time. We're seeing a change in Hollywood entertainment. We're seeing that with different racial groups. Like for the first time, we're seeing some Hispanic representation, some Asian representation. We've come a long way with African American representation. We've seen different, you know, sexual orientation groups, but we haven't seen Christians actually. And so Christians <laughs> will complain about a lot of stuff, but won't do anything. But about won't do anything it. about it. And Except so I'm looking at it going. You've seen all these other kinds of groups that have done something about it and you're complaining even about some of the other groups that are doing something about it, but you're not doing anything about your own place. Yeah. And I, I'm in complete agreement. So I'm excited that you're here seriously, because you represent, you guys are forerunning and there's other forerunners that we all know. And some that yeah. a lot of you don't know. One of the reasons why we're doing the show is so that people can hear these kinds of conversations and say, yes, pray. Praying is so important, but you know, this is why it's important that so many pastors kids are here right now because then the, the churches are starting to go, Oh wait, you're directing a film. Yeah. You're acting in a film. Yep. You're a makeup artist on a film. Wait, I'm. I actually care differently now than just participating with watching. Yeah. I now think about a way. To, I'm. I'm actually going to really invest my heart and maybe my resources into a new version to pop up because I don't want the current version to be your limitation, which is amazing. Yes. I I think we're we're in for quite a a, a sea change when yeah. it comes to um, the prodigals returning. A lot of people come to Hollywood because they feel called of God and then they fall away and they do crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of very successful people have had the call of God on their lives and they've denied it. But yeah. originally they loved him and they came here because of him. And I really wow. think we're at a point where we're, we're about to see a lot of them come back. They've reached the bottom of the filthiest place they could possibly be in. 
and the father's going to welcome them home with open arms, throw a big party, and it's going to be awesome. And it sounds like you're opening up a party center through your production company. (laughs) Here we go. Party! No, seriously, thank you so much for being on today, and thanks for just sharing so vulnerably and so real. And I feel like we just all went to school. Yeah. Yeah. You can't help it with Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And that was Jessica Yellow. You've been watching Exploring the Industry with Sean Bowles. Thanks for listening to Exploring the Industry, our brand new podcast. And it's actually part of the podcast family of Exploring the Prophetic. If you subscribe now, you're going to hear weekly stories on Wednesdays that are everyday people like you and I who are hearing God and God is changing our options. He's changing our world. He's transforming culture around us because we're saying yes and obedience to God. And then on Fridays, we have Exploring the Industry. So make sure to subscribe and you're going to hear these amazing stories twice a week And we need these stories right now. I know if if you're like me, you need the encouragement. So come join the conversation. Thank you for listening to Exploring the Industry. We're believing that God's going to change the world through the entertainment industry. And we want to invite you into the conversation. Please subscribe. Hit the notification bell to this podcast. Also visit us at bowlsministries.com where you're going to find tons of resources to help you on your spiritual journey.